Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And guys, today's episode, it's a good one. I gotta say, I feel like I always say it, but it's a good one. I promise. If you guys are here in the hopes that you will listen to an amazing story or two or three or six, you are in the right place because today's episode is chock full of classic Katie storytelling and I'm so excited for you to hear it. But first, I do want to just share a minor tragedy that happened to me this morning that a lot of you guys will probably relate a little bit or a lot of it to. It's just something just so, so darn relatable that I just wanted to share before I get into today's episode. So basically what happened was I woke up this morning, you know, the birds were chirping. It was a beautiful new day here in sunny yet windy Los Angeles. It was very windy this morning. Um, But anyway, woke up, you know, new fresh day, so full of possibilities, so full of life. And then it hit me. It dawned on me. I remembered that I just finished the last episode in my show last night, like the show that I've been obsessed with for weeks now. And I've been savoring every last moment, every last episode of, so obsessed with, I finally had gotten to the last episode last night. And so this morning I was laying in bed and I was like, wait a second, like, wow, I got to the last episode. Okay, I wonder when season three is going to happen because I got to the last episode of season two last night of this show. Woke up, was Googling, okay, like when is season three coming? And then I realized that the show that I had stumbled into on Netflix is an old show and season three never happened. Like it was never picked up for a season three. I was instantly shocked. I was instantly just like, I just couldn't, I couldn't get over it. I was just, oh my God, a ball of emotions. I can't even put a word to how I felt. Just devastated. Like, I can't believe I devoted so much time and energy to this show and thinking about it. Like, one of those shows where you're like in the kitchen doing dishes and you're like thinking about the show. Like, I just, I haven't even stopped thinking about it for a second. It's called Imposters on Netflix. So good, but spoiler alert, there is no season three. I can't believe it. It got canceled after two seasons and I'm just shocked and confused. And so I was just sitting there in bed, you know all of my, the thoughts of like possibilities of the day, all of my positivity instantly zapped from my body. I was like, you're kidding. There's just no, I have no will to go on now. I was that devastated about it. And I just know there's so many other people out there that feel this way about this show and about many other shows, you know, that have just gotten canceled because you get to the end and you're like, wait, I don't know what I, I can't even like imagine what happens next. Like there were so many cliffhangers, so many loose ends that weren't tied up at the end of season two. I just like don't even know what half the characters are up to these days. Well, of course they're characters, but you know, if it was to be continued, what would have happened? It's hard to say because you can tell when they got to the end of season two, like the showrunners, I think were expecting there to be a season three, no, no questions asked. And apparently ratings weren't good. I don't even know. I was just like fell into a black hole of Googling, like why did it not get picked up again? And I was just devastated. And it really got me thinking about how much, like Carrie Bradshaw, I couldn't help but wonder. It really got me thinking about how much I value a good story. And I love, you know, hearing a story start to finish in the natural way it was intended. You know, it feels like I came across an ancient scroll of this like amazing story and the end was like cut off and I don't know what happens next. 
Like, I know I'm being so dramatic, but I really love this show. It was just like Googling in my bed this morning, like just so sad. And I realized the last episode had aired in 2018. So like almost, I guess, three years ago now. And the show was originally on Bravo. Now it's on Netflix. And I'm hoping, I'm praying, please, Netflix gods out there, please. Like whoever's in charge of Netflix, please pick it up for a third season. Do something. Bring these characters back to life because I need to know what happens. I cannot settle with this cliffhanger. (laughs) So yeah, this really got me thinking about the value stories have and how they can inspire you. They can keep you going when life is seeming a bit bleak, you know, the present world that we're living in. Sometimes we, you know, don't feel extremely inspired because the truth of the matter is you're not going to feel inspired every day of your life. Like inspired in the sense of like, I am loving everything I'm going through right now. I'm loving everything that's coming. I am just like nothing but sunshine and butterflies and rainbows right now. That's just not the reality of life. And so when we're feeling down, when we're feeling a bit just lost in our current world, we turn to stories. When I was younger, it was Harry Potter. Harry Potter got me through a lot of the hard times in my life. And it's really, you know, that's the reason why there's so many like fandoms and stands and all the words we have now, people shipping people with other people and like all of this stuff, like this magic that we invent from stories that some person out there dreamt up, you know? And it's it's crazy how one person's mind or a group of writers' minds can get us through the hard stuff. That is why, you know, I I love movies. I love TV. I love books. I love storytelling podcasts. I love all of the things. And it's also why I've shifted my podcast into being more devoted to storytelling, especially telling stories of those people that are long gone and that, you know, whose stories haven't really been told at, at great lengths and loud enough, in my opinion. And I feel need a little bit of help from the grave. And that's why I do what I do here on Thick and Thin. That's why my podcast has kind of shifted from being just like a gossip rag. Honestly, it's what it was in the beginning. I like always kind of cringe when people say they're listening to like early episodes because it definitely has shifted. I feel like I've gotten more mature in two years and people, you know, maybe saw my podcast as something that it wasn't exactly, you know, like it's just really shifted over time and it feels really authentic now. It feels like something that I, I get so excited to put out each episode. It doesn't feel like a chore. It doesn't feel like something you know, back in the day, back in back in the day, like two years ago when I started the podcast, I felt like every episode was kind of me just kind of, I don't know, I was doing it late at night after my day job and I was just grasping for straws in the sense of like, I don't know what to talk about. I don't really do much besides work. And, you know, I'm obsessed with just all of these missing puzzle pieces in my life that are so superficial and that really will probably stress people out more than help them. You know, and I love I love talking about my life in great detail. I love being super candid about taboo things and I'm never going to stop doing that, but I love weaving stories into it, especially those from history, especially those that I feel inspired by because like I said, you're not going to wake up every day and feel like this is the best day ever. I'm so inspired today. I am so full of life and everything and life is amazing and sunshine and all those things. That's just not realistic. And so for the days that you don't feel that way, I hope that listening to my podcast or, you know, paying attention to my different story or I guess um, TV show, movie, podcast recommendations, all those things will make you feel a little bit like that, you know, like you have some of that back. So 
Yeah, that's the goal. And so today's episode, I wanted to do a just mass, amazing storytelling episode. So if you need something to come back to, if you're having an off day, or if you know a friend that is, I want them to come to this episode. I want you to come to this episode because you'll feel inspired. I can guarantee it because stories make us feel that way. They really do. And I do also want to say in this moment, I want to encourage you that, you know, if you have a story inside of you, an untold story, there's this quote from Maya Angelou where it's like, um, you know, the weight of the untold story inside of you or something like that. But, you know, we, I think all of us kind of are carrying this untold story inside of us and we feel like no one would care to hear it. No one would care to read our blog if we had one or read our book if we published one and all these things. But I have to say two things. Number one, imagine if, you know, we all collectively got over this fear of sharing our truth and our story and you know, even sharing, not even just something real, but, you know, a fictional story that we have in our hearts that we want to share, that we want to invent and bring into the world. Like, imagine if all of us did that, you know, did that thing that we were scared to do. Imagine how many more best-selling books there'd be, how many, you know, theme parks we made after our books that our untold stories lie in, you know, like Harry Potter, like Harry Potter literally has a theme park now. All because of this one woman who, of course, J.K. Rowling is now super problematic. I do want to note that. But still, it's true what she did. She was like this homeless, not doing so great mother, just telling stories to her kids. And look where it landed her, you know, having this theme park named after the story that she cooked up in her head. You know, there's all these stories that we that we hold inside of us. And if we just did the thing, you know, it doesn't mean writing all the time. It sometimes means just, you know, posting our first YouTube video or just doing anything that's a first, you know, putting out your first thing. It's always hard. It's always just kind of thankless, you know, because you you don't feel like you're getting the numbers that you that you should get or, you know, people don't care. And sometimes, you know, it sucks to know that like, literally maybe only five people care about what you're making, but soon it'll be 10 and then 15 and then a hundred and then a thousand and then 15,000. And it just goes up from there. So imagine all the greatness that could come from, you know, people just abandoning their fear of failure and telling that story that they want to tell. That's the first thing. Number two, there's really something to say not only about the people that are appreciating and getting something out of the stories, like the people that are reading it, the people that are watching the films, watching the YouTube videos, listening to the podcasts, whatever, but there's also something to say for the people who are telling the story. It's so therapeutic for us, okay? I speak from experience of telling stories on here every single week. It is so therapeutic to tell a story that reaches out and grabs someone's heart, squeezes it, <laughs> doesn't rip it out. Don't, don't, you know, I'm not going there with the story. Um, but yeah, like it just really, really reaches out and grabs someone and makes their life better or inspires them in some way. It is the best freaking feeling in the entire world. Not only because you know you're impacting someone, but also because there is a significant amount of control that a person that is putting something out into the world has. Because, you know, for the most part, if you're not working with a team of people that are creating you know, one thing together, if it's just you sitting there making your first YouTube video or publishing your first book or telling your first story on a podcast or something like that, there's a significant amount of control that you have as the person who is telling the story. You know how it's going to unfold. You know all the details. And to a certain extent, you have control over how the person listening or watching is going to interpret it. You know, you, you can kind of set the, set the mood in that way. 
You know, I'm thinking of like movies that have a certain plot, but then they add this background music in there. And that instantly makes a person watching the film, you know, if they hadn't seen it or, you know, watched it with the background music, had thought of it in one way. And then the person adding these little details, you know, telling the story, setting the stage, maybe, you know, dressing a person in a certain you know, outfit or I don't know, something that triggers the the person watching or listening to really think in a certain way. Like you can really shape the narrative as the storyteller, as the person who's bringing this to life or the people bringing it to life. Because usually in greater scale productions, it's a team of people, you know, but there's so much power in it. And so I want to encourage you guys to get out there and, you know, put out your stories because they're really, really valid and important. And I've had, you know, a friend come to me earlier, I guess last week now, and say, you know, I want to start this blog and I want to do this, but I feel like no one will care. And I know that my first post, you know, no one's going to care. And I'm scared of putting myself out there in this way and posting this on my Instagram and, you know, having people see me now as this person who's trying to do something. And I'm like (laughs) thinking to myself, well, I guess this has been like just kind of my life now of making things and knowing that people are going to react in a certain way and doing it anyway. Even as the person putting it out, of course, there's downfalls and there's times where I'm like, I hate this so much and I hate getting hate. I hate getting any sort of feedback that isn't positive. It hurts sometimes. It stings. It makes me better, sure, but it it hurts nonetheless. And so I always tell those people, you know, still given all of this, even given the the silence you feel, like the, the overwhelming sense of silence you feel when you put out your first thing, and it flops or no one really cares, you know, all of that is just nothing compared to the feeling of just finally telling the story you want to tell and putting it out there, you know, introducing yourself to the world. You feel so accomplished. You feel so, especially if what you're doing, your kind of mission surrounding it is one that's like been inside you for so long, just kind of boiling down in there, hoping that someday you'll have the courage. Once you do it, like you feel good, even if I mean, no one, no one cares for a bit. It still feels good. And being consistent with something, especially when, you know, the rest of what you're going through in life feels a little bit uncontrollable and bleak in so many ways, especially this year. I feel like I've seen so many people try new things this year because they just want a distraction. And honestly, creating something and bettering someone out there is the best kind of distraction there is. Hey everyone, I'm Devin Werkheiser. I'm Lindsay Shaw. And I'm Daniel Curtis Lee. And we are the hosts of Ned's Declassified Podcast Survival Guide. Ever wonder what happened to Ned Mose and Cookie? Well, we're back. We helped you guys survive middle school. And now we're helping you survive adulthood. On Ned's Declassified Podcast Survival Guide, we are re-watching episodes. Bringing you special guests like Coconut Head and Janitor Gordy. And catching up on the last 15 years. We're talking about everything from dating mishaps. To mental health and maintaining friendships. And asking the question, how? How do we survive adulthood? Maybe we don't always have the answers. But we're going to figure it out together. Come join us. So pause that podcast you're listening to and subscribe to Ned's Declassified Podcast Survival Guide. (laughs) On Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) that leads me into my podcast today, which is chock full of stories. You guys know I love my stories, and I love telling them. It's therapeutic. But I first want to start out, you know, before I get into that, after I just went on my ramble about why you should tell your stories, which I think is a good ramble, so I'll keep it in. But I do want to say, you know, I always think about, of course, the history of everything. And so I was thinking to myself today, you know, I talked about the history of high heels, the history of the diamonds, the history of the white dress, the history of something blue, all those things. But what about the history of storytelling? You know, why, why do we tell stories? And, you know, are they all the same in some way, shape or form? Like I said earlier, we crave control. We crave the, 
you know, knowing the outcome of the story, knowing how it's going to unfold. We like sharing details and things, you know, oh, did you hear what she said? We love that. It gives us this like little boost. And I could give you the full psychological breakdown, like how it reacts in the brain and all those things. But really, I mean, we kind of all know. We know how it feels to have a piece of information and, you know, how it feels to tell someone that looks on and listens on to us and is like, wait, really? Wow. And reacts like that. There's no, well, there maybe there's a better feeling, but like there's no better feeling, I think sometimes, than to have a story that you're sharing and people are benefiting from it or loving it or just totally engrossed in what you're saying. Of course, the history of storytelling, you know, where stories came from is kind of impossible to explore because they've been around as old as time as, you know, as long as people have been able to talk, they've been sharing stories either as a way to entertain or to inform and, you know, stories in families were passed down for generations and generations, oftentimes to, you know, instill hope and power in the family, things like that. Stories are just ancient. They are. And stories back then, especially in times where, you know, there wasn't really written word and people couldn't really refer to manuals on things like what berries to eat and what leaves to touch and what direction is the moss growing on the, you know, on the stone and that's what direction you're going in and all those things, you know, they were woven into stories and parables and fables and all those sorts of things to remind people of important information. And it doesn't it wasn't just, you know, here's a magical story of a princess and a pea or something. A lot of them were useful. And so storytelling was and is super powerful. And according to this article that I found published in The Atlantic, humans have been telling the same stories over and over for millennia. Author Christopher Booker claims there are only seven basic plots, which are repeated over and over again in film, in television, in novels, with just slight tweaks. There is the overcoming the monster plot, number one, as seen in Beowulf, War of the Worlds. Number two, rags to riches, as seen in Cinderella, Jane Eyre. Number three, the quest, so Iliad, Lord of the Rings. Four, voyage and return, so Odyssey, Alice in Wonderland. Five, rebirth, so seen in Sleeping Beauty, A Christmas Carol. Six, comedy, which ends in marriage. And seven, tragedy, which ends in death. So these are the seven basic plot lines that honestly, if you think about it, every major film that I can really think of like in this very moment coincides with one or multiple of those. And my mind is officially blown. <laughs> anyway, so you guys know I love a good story, as you know, as you can tell from the beginning of this episode. So based on everything all wrapped into one, I am going to tell you guys six good stories from history today. They're all kind of short little snippets. Of course, they all have a greater, larger story attached, but they're all inspiring in their own way. And they're all something that I think back to often. And I kind of tuck a little piece of it in my pocket for later, either because they're funny or they're interesting, compelling in some way. And so I have six stories for you guys today. These are all stories that I found from this Reddit page that I discovered called Did You Know History? I'll have it linked in the show notes of this episode. I love all the things on there. I constantly go back to it when I'm looking into podcast episodes and things. And Reddit is just like the ultimate home of history content. I just love just falling into deep, dark Reddit holes. I'm obsessed with it. So if you guys have any fun Reddit pages that you love, please DM them to me because I am such a Reddit snob. It's ridiculous, but I can always, always use a new page to obsess over. So anyway, so let's get into these inspiring stories from history that I know you guys will love. They're super bite-sized, 
easy to remember and hopefully retell to all of your friends and just, I don't know, if you're just sitting at a dinner and you're bored or something and just want to launch into a story because I've definitely done that before. Anyway, so here's the first one. So in 1959, police were called to a segregated library in South Carolina when a nine-year-old black boy refused to leave. This boy would go on to get a PhD in physics from MIT and pass away in 1986 as one of the astronauts aboard the space shuttle Challenger. After his death, the library that once refused to lend him books is now named after him. His name was Ronald Irwin McNair. I did a bit more digging on this story because I just, I wanted to know the full scoop. So when Ronald was nine, the police and his mother were called because he wished to check out books from that library, which served only white patrons before he arrived. He was nine years old, guys, nine, only nine years old, and was just wanting to check out books. And so he was super patient despite the circumstances. He said to the woman who refused to give him the books, I'll wait. And so he sat on the counter until the police and his mother arrived. And when they did, the officer looked the lady in the eye and said, why don't you just give him the books? To which the lady finally reluctantly did. He said, thank you, ma'am, as he got the books. And then, like I said, later went on to get a PhD in physics from MIT. And in 1978, he was selected as one of 35 applicants from a pool of 10,000 for the NASA astronaut program. He was nationally recognized for his work in laser physics and he became the second African-American to make flight into space. He was a mission specialist on the space shuttle Challenger, which, as we know, ended in catastrophe. But the fact that he was able to get to space and be recognized for his intelligence and all of his accomplishments was incredible, given the fact that he was literally denied a book at age nine. And I just love that story. I love knowing who Ronald Irwin McNair was. So that was the first story I wanted to share that I think about all the time. And the next one is a bit further back in history about two white guys. <laughs> it's about John Adams and Ben Franklin. I shared this to my Instagram story and you guys were laughing alongside me. It's the funniest story ever. So basically an extract from John Adams' diary from 1776 describes the time when he had to share a tiny bed with Ben Franklin, and instead of sleeping, they had an argument about whether to keep the windows opened or closed. This story just brought a smile to my face. I just love knowing that these two super intelligent men from history, you know, founding fathers were fighting over something as mundane as a simple and stupid as like, do we keep the windows open or closed while we sleep? Like, it's just really, really funny to me. So apparently Ben Franklin eventually won the argument when John Adams got too tired from arguing and fell asleep. And this all happened you know, during the beginning of the American Revolution when they were both negotiating with the British and all that, like doing all this really, you know, smart, good stuff for the United States that we would be and, uh, you know, had this super stupid argument just like really makes me laugh. I found out from digging, further digging, that Ben Franklin was the one who wanted the window open and, you know, John explained that he didn't want to catch illness. He had like a history with illness from like the cold night air. Ben firmly took the stance of the air already in the room being worse than the outside air, so he should just quit it. And he went into this full theory and like lots of loaded evidence and things, and it put John Adams to sleep. And it's funny though, it's strange for the time because, you know, people were in this time, of course, like just so scared of the cold and what, you know, the illnesses it would bring on. And we didn't have modern medicine, obviously. And so Ben Franklin just thought, he really thought that cold air and going to bed cold was better for like brain function and things like that. He has this whole theory on it. And so it's just funny. I don't know. I just imagine these two founding fathers <laughs> tucked into bed. I'm like picturing them with their like 
little, whatever their little hairstyles, like just tucked into bed, arguing all night long, just made me smile. I think they deserve like a sitcom or something like based on this story. It'd be really funny. So anyway, that just made me laugh. It's a funny one. Not so serious. Here's number three. In 1836, a sewer worker accidentally discovered an old drain which ran directly underneath the Bank of England's gold vault. He then wrote letters to the directors of the bank requesting a meeting inside the vault at an hour of their choosing and popped out of the floor to greet them. And so the directors, they'd seen, you know, all these anonymous letters. They thought that they were just pranks. You know, the person had been claiming that they had access to their highly secure gold. And they were finally persuaded to gather one night at the vault. I can imagine them kind of giggling about it, being like, ooh, you know, it's not going to show up. This is crazy. It's just a prank, whatever. And at the agreed upon hour, a noise was heard from beneath the floor and a man popped up through some of the floorboards. The directors were completely shocked and soon confirmed that no gold was missing, despite the fact that this guy had, you know, unknown access to the vault. And so for his honesty and his good deeds of not stealing, the man was rewarded with a gift of 800 euro, which at the time, I guess now would be worth 80,000 euros in today's money. So that just goes to show, you know, honesty sometimes is rewarded. I... I say sometimes, I actually found this wallet one time a few years ago in Soho in New York, and it was like an expensive wallet. It had like $500 of cash in it, like very suspiciously. I don't know why. It was, I thought it was a kind of like a, a test or something. And I, like a good person, you know, returned the wallet, didn't take any of the cash, and was given no reward. And honestly, that taught me a lesson within itself that, you know, being a good person sometimes comes with uh, just the act of being a good person and the knowledge that you did a good thing. You're not always rewarded for your good deeds, but I love that little story. It's so interesting though. I mean, what would you do? Like, what would you do if you were the guy that discovered this access to the gold vault? Like, what would you do? I would always wonder if it was a test. I would be like, I just, the guilt would kill me of doing anything like that. I've never even like shoplifted, like not saying that that's something that like everyone has done, but like, I don't know, a lot of people like when they're younger, like steal lip gloss or something like a tester from Sephora and are like, oh my gosh, I'm living on the edge. I never did any of that because I just, the guilt would kill me. So anyway, just uh, food for thought, just another story. So leading into number four. In 1717, Benjamin Hornigold, notorious pirate and gold hunter, raided a merchant ship off the coast of Honduras, but not to take their gold, their lives, or anything remotely close. The reason for his raid will surprise you. As Hornigold boarded the ship, the pirate ordered all of the merchant's crew to hand over their hats. Yeah, their literal hats off of their heads. Hornigold and his crew had gotten wasted the night before, and in a drunken haze had thrown all of their hats overboard and needed new ones. (laughs) They intended to get them the only way they knew how to get anything in general, raiding. So the merchants of the invaded ship pleaded with the pirates to spare their lives, and to their surprise, they got what they wanted. They were let go. Hornigold let them continue on their journey, but without their hats. (laughs) And honestly, guys, I feel like this is a story. Like, as I was just telling this to you, I felt like this is a story that I would tell just someone, like, if I needed their hat, like, if I was having a bad hair day and I was like, I need your hat, I would tell them this story and be like, did you know in 1717, Benjamin Hornigold, notorious pirate and gold hunter, raided a merchant ship, blah, blah, blah. Like I would launch into that story. And honestly, I think that's a great party trick. I think everyone should remember this. And yeah, I can already tell. I'm just like having kind of a a weird vision into my future. Like I feel like I'm already going to be 
very great at bedtime stories for my kids. Okay, so the next story, I'm beginning to realize that all these stories are about men, but a lot of them are funny. I don't know. Like, can we just make fun of the men for a second? <laughs> anyway, okay. So here's a when life gives you lemons sort of story. Did you know that a group of U.S. Marines lives were saved by Tootsie Rolls? And yes, I'm talking about the candy. In 1950, during the Korean War, some U.S. Marines ran out of these things called mortar shells, and a quick Google search told me that mortars are devices that fire explosive shells like mini bombs, and so the Marines used a radio to ask for more ammo when they ran out, but when making their request, just, you know, for security of the airwaves, not knowing who was listening in, things like that, they used their code name for mortar shells, which was Tootsie Rolls. I guess they looked like them or something of that nature. So the person on the other end of the radio, though, I guess it was his first day or something. He took it literally. And when the airdrop arrived, it was filled with actual legitimate like Tootsie Rolls, the candy. I can imagine the Marines surprise when the, you know, super serious macho Marines opened this airdrop and it was full of little baby candies. Honestly, if it were me, I'd be super relieved, obviously, because I'm a 25 year old girl and not a 1950s U.S. Marine that didn't even know what the internet was at the time and, you know, all these things. So, anywho, uh, basically, the incident happened in December. So, the temperatures were freezing and the soldiers, you know, not wanting to put these to waste, they also survived for two weeks on just eating Tootsie Rolls, but they also wanted to get crafty with these things. And so, they soon realized that the candies would freeze in the cold, they'd be solid, but they could be turned into a sort of putty by warming them up. So like popping them in your mouth, chewing them, getting them warm somehow. So they used the candies to patch up their equipment, you know, holes and hoses and other things that they had. And these things ultimately helped them in the war. And so afterwards, the soldiers started referring to themselves as the Tootsie Roll Marines. And that just made me laugh, made me, made me giggle, you know, cute little thing. Also made me uh, crave Tootsie Rolls, honestly, but. That is another good story from history that I loved reading about. Okay, so now this one is the grand finale. This is the big story that I really wanted to share, but I wanted a few more to kind of, you know, break the ice before just some other people from history that either were super inspiring or funny or a number of things. But now we're on to the real story, and this features a woman named Vicki Jones. Well, her real name was Mary Jane Jones, but she was an American singer who became famous in 1969 for impersonating Aretha Franklin. And this story literally sent me down a rabbit hole. I became obsessed with this woman. And there's not a whole lot on the internet about her. And I wish that that wasn't a thing because her story is so incredible. I, if I were a great, you know, huge movie producer, I would make a film on her life. And I'll tell you at the end of the story why I think it'd be an amazing film. Not only was she a great person, but just the way that there's so many parallels with her life and others, like I just think it'd be a great story. But anyway, so a little bit more about Vicki. So she was from West Petersburg, Virginia, where she sang in a church choir. She forever had wanted to be just like Aretha Franklin. And in 1969, both Vicki and Aretha were the same age. They were 27. Aretha was discovered, shot to fame, won Grammy Awards, and was a millionaire, while Vicky was a single mother, still singing in the church, struggling to stay afloat financially. Aretha, like I said, was Vicky's idol. She painted her eyes to look like Aretha's, and she loved to sing along to her songs. Vicky's life was super hard. She'd gotten married at 19, but her husband had passed away, leaving her with a young son, Larry, to care for all by herself. 
She remarried to a man named Bobby Jones and had three more sons, Quentin, Gregory, and Keith, with Bobby. But after years of living through abuse and Bobby's alcohol-fueled violence, she finally divorced him in 1968. But that meant she was left a single mother without much education, and she had to survive on government assistance and donations that her church choir got. And so to make ends meet and to get food on the table for her four kids, she began performing in nightclubs, earning about $10 per night. She performed this one particular song, Respect, by Aretha Franklin at the Pink Garter, a former grocery store turned nightclub in Richmond. After she sang, she was approached by a man. This man's name was Lavelle Hardy, and he was a James Brown impersonator. He invited her to tour along with him, and he promised her some serious money in exchange for her performances on the road, an offer she really couldn't turn down with those kids at home. And at first... She said no, but her mind was soon changed when Lavelle name-dropped who he'd have along with him on the gig. He said he was booking the opening act for the real Aretha Franklin, and this likely made Vicky's ears perk right up because she loved Aretha. She wanted to meet her idol, most likely, and so she would do really anything for that to happen and to make money for her kids. She didn't know she'd be impersonating anyone. She thought she was just meeting Aretha and that was that and be performing as herself or as her Vicky Jones alter ego sort of person. And there's this article that was posted in Smithsonian Magazine where they interviewed her kids and her son Gregory was going on and on about how much she just wanted to be like Aretha. You know, his mother had grown up in a house without plumbing. And to quote the article, she could only dream of rolling up to sold out shows in a limousine dripping in diamonds. Aretha Franklin made that dream seem possible. And Smithsonian Magazine also noted that Lavelle Hardy had said this about Vicky as Aretha. He said, she's identical from head to toe. She's got the complexion. She's got the looks. She's got the height. She's got the tears. She's got everything. And so when Vicky arrived in Florida, hoping to meet Aretha and perform with her, Lavelle Hardy informed her that there would be no Aretha Franklin and that it was she who would perform as the Queen of Soul. She would be impersonating Aretha, and he blackmailed her into going on stage as Aretha. Hardy said if she didn't cooperate, she'd, quote, be in a lot of trouble. And he also said, apparently, according to Smithsonian, you're down here and broke and you don't know anybody. And Vicky later recalled saying he threatened to throw me into the bay and she couldn't swim. She had a fear of drowning. And Hardy had said, your body could easily be disposed of in water. And you are Aretha Franklin. So he was clearly just delusional. I don't even know what this guy was up to. Essentially, she really had no choice. She had these kids. She couldn't be a dead woman yet. You know, she just did what she was told. She was fully being blackmailed by Lavelle Hardy. And so Vicky's performance in concert was apparently so convincing that nobody in the audience was the wiser, apparently. None of them asked for a refund. And so she continued performing, fully being blackmailed by Lavelle the whole time. And so while she was on this phony tour pretending to be Aretha, she was given just two hamburgers a day by the people that were managing her and kept locked inside of a grimy hotel room far away from her boys. Mind you, she was in Florida being from Virginia. Her boys were being cared for by her mother and she was just overcome with this guilt. She later said that she wanted to tell everybody before performing that she was not Miss Franklin, but Lavelle had said that the show promoters would do something awful to her if they learned who she really was. Eventually, though, Aretha Franklin's team heard that there was someone impersonating her and launched an investigation. Once Aretha herself was made aware of the situation, she said to Jet Magazine, Hardy ought to be prosecuted, not that girl. 
So she literally said herself, like, you know, Vicky's not to blame here, which was probably reassuring to Vicky. And at Vicky's hearing after she was arrested, she was asked by the judge to do something interesting. She was asked to sing. And the judge decided that she sounded so much like Aretha Franklin that he spared her. And so as she walked out of the courtroom, a free woman, Vicky said to reporters, the judge said I really sounded like her. I know I could use a little training in singing, jazz and the blues, but I feel like I could go all the way. I don't believe there is such a word as can't. Oh, so inspiring. I mean, granted, it was a crazy situation, but I really do think, I think all of us can agree that Vicky, it wasn't her fault that she was in this situation. She just, I don't know, I mean, especially being a woman, especially being a black woman of that time, she definitely felt very powerless. And so I'm happy that she didn't go to jail for her crimes. And I'm happy she still had some pep in her step as she left, you know. And two weeks after her arrest, something amazing happened. Vicki Jones shared a stage with Duke Ellington, freaking love Duke Ellington, who was touring Florida at the time and had heard about her. And so he said, while they were on stage, he said, I want to introduce you to a Florida girl. Well, I guess she wasn't really from Florida, but she was in Florida, who made national headlines two weeks ago. He said, as he brought her onto stage one night, his band started playing, Every Day I Have the Blues, and Vicki began to sing. The crowd fell silent as she began with, Speaking of bad luck and trouble, well, you know I've had my share. Very fitting. <laughs> and so the next cover of Jet, that magazine I referred to, was not Aretha Franklin, but a new star named Vicki Jones. And so for a while, Vicki continued to tour. However, after about a year of that, she decided to quit show business once and for all to care for her four children. Guys, I love this story. I'm so happy that I stumbled across it on Reddit and decided to look a little bit deeper because it's just so interesting. I mean, of course, I think it's just horrible what Vicky had to go through, but eventually she did get what she wanted. She got Aretha Franklin to, to know who she was. She got the fame of, you know, being able to sing on stage with Duke Ellington. And she gave it all up in the end to care for her kids. The one thing that she valued above everything else. And honestly, just such a good story. It gives me goosebumps just telling it to you. And I love that I was able to do that. And I honestly, guys, hear me out. I think that there could be a movie in the making featuring Aretha and Vicky kind of alongside each other because they were both the same age the whole time that this played out. And so I think it'd be so cool to kind of follow both of their stories at the same time, kind of like a Julie and Julia, or is it Julia? Yeah, Julie and Julia, that movie with, um, what's her name? I'm um, Julia Child and the woman that does all of her recipes and things. Something like that could be so interesting. Their lives were so similar yet different. You know, they were both dealing with the same problems basically at similar times. They both went through abusive marriages. They both sang in church choirs. Uh, just so many things were similar about them and yet so different and oh, just could be such a good movie. Anyways, that is my, that is my story. Well, not my story, but the stories I told. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and can tuck these people's stories into your back pocket for reflecting on later, either for a laugh or for some inspiration, because some of them were certainly more funny than others. Of course, I just wanted to tell you just a random assortment of, of little tales to get you through the week. So hope you guys enjoyed and I will talk to you guys all next week. Bye. Bye.